Well, good evening. Welcome, welcome. Um, hey, first, first, let me say thank you for what was probably a little bit of a difficulty in getting in tonight, and probably some confusion. Uh, we're in a different room, as you're probably aware. With our, uh, with with Timberline Church being the the only evacuation site in all of Larimer County, um, this has just been an, an insane week for us with with the flood relief. Um, we've had a as of yesterday, I don't, I don't know if the numbers are any different today, but we've had like more than a thousand people, uh, flood victims, come through Timberline Church as, as the primary evacuation site. And so many different fantastic organizations and churches. And um, I, I heard, I think it was Emmanuel Church, their staff meeting this week, they said, hey, let's just go over and start helping. And so um, I think like 1,200 different volunteers since Friday, since last Friday, uh, put in like 7,000 hours um, of total time. So, and I know some of you guys have been a part of that. Thank you so much for, for plugging in. It's just, this is one of those times where we're talking about the image of God in this whole series. And this is one of those times that people step up and, and they serve. Someone came down from in the middle of Wyoming and, and they just said, hey, I've got some, a bunch of stuff here. What can I, what can I do? And that's, that's that image of God, you know, this, this, this desire to, to serve, to give redemptive, creative love in really powerful ways. So um, a lot of people are still asking, you know, what can we do? How can we help? Uh, there are still volunteer opportunities here at, at Timberline through this Friday as far as being a central place, you know, where we're going to be sending out. We're working with a lot of different organizations, but through Friday, they're here. Beyond Friday, there will be more opportunities as we go, just not necessarily in this building, but you can get on the Serve 6.8. You've probably heard that name a lot, Serve 6.8 uh, website. And all of those serving opportunities are listed there. You can check out everything, all the different opportunities that there are to serve. And a lot of people have asked even about, you know, how do, how do we donate to this? And uh, Community Funded has set up a flood relief fund, and that is also through this website that, that people can give to that. And, uh, you know, there's, again, just there's thousands of needs. Um, Homeless Gear is a great organization that works throughout the state that we've partnered with. Um, one of their biggest needs, I know I heard them talk about it, like tents. They need tents. They've got a lot of sleeping bags, but not a lot of tents. And so we're trying to get them restocked because they've just kind of given everything away. So we're trying to help them in that regard as well. So thank you so much for those of you who have served. And even, uh, let me say one other thing. Um, I was talking to Pastor Mark today, and uh, he said, even people who can't give like financially, he said, one thing that we would ask is take this link, you know, this website link, and put it on your social media, like put it on your Facebook page, send it out to friends. That's, that alone gets it to people out there who do have resources, who do want to help, but don't know the right channels to go about. So if you can only do that even, that, that's really, really fantastic way to help. Um, and uh, let, me, let me do one thing also, speaking of just kind of ways in which we serve. Uh, as Timberline family, if you're part of Timberline family, uh, we believe in, in giving not to Timberline, and we see that right now, but, but through Timberline to impact the world. And I know a lot of you have come prepared to give your tithes and offerings. So could I ask our ushers, to come forward, and we've already, we've already prayed, so you can go ahead and just start passing those. Um, thank you for, for investing your lives. Uh, isn't it Dick Foth who always says, it's so hard to give money because your money is your times the second time around? <laughs> and so it's like, a, it's a piece of us. And so when we invest that, when we, it's, a, it's a piece of us. And, um, and so thank you for giving your, 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 your treasure, 
but thank you so much for giving your time and your talents in so many ways. Um, secondly, I just wanted to give a quick update. Um, I'll just do this real quickly, but many of you who were here last week, um, Pastor Scott got up and, and uh, said, uh, Brent's not able to be here tonight. He had kind of an incident happen. I got a call from my daughter just as I was walking into our pre-service meeting that my wife had fallen on the ground at home. She didn't know. She's eight. She said, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with mommy. And, but um, Kristen, my wife, had had a seizure. And so they, they rushed her to the hospital, and fortunately, Scott and Matt Hickey and others, Richard, just stepped up in amazing ways and, and um, kind of made, made the night work and let me go uh, be with her out at MCR. So um, don't really have any answers right now, but thank you for your prayers. Uh, we did a, a test this morning, an EEG test, where they put all these probes on your head and kind of read brain waves and try to determine if there's some underlying um, seizure disorder. So we're, we're, we're hoping to get results back that just give us an answer and um, tell us kind of what, what we can do next and proceed next. And so it's been a challenging week. So thank you so much for those of you who have prayed. Kristen also have, has a fibromyalgia. And so that kind of kicked in too, even after this. Um, so just appreciate your prayers. A lot of you have said things to me and I really, really appreciate it. So thank you so much for that. Um, and, and thank you to Matt. You know, Matt Hickey, if you were here last week, um, I have this nightmare. It's not real often, but I have this recurring nightmare that we're in the old church, if you were here with us on LeMay, that I'm in the old church, and I just remember, it's like Sunday morning, that Pastor Deary asked me to speak, and I spaced it out, just totally spaced it out. And I'm like, oh, and I'm wringing my hands, and, I, and, and it's like they're starting to do music and something, and oh, what do I have, 15 minutes? But I can't even collect my thoughts. I'm like, and, and I got nothing to say. I'm just like, I have nothing to say. I thought this will be the last time he ever asked me to teach. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be fired. And, and, um, and it's just this absolute, you know, awful moment for me. Well, that's what I did to Matt last week. You know, I did that to Matt last week. I called him. He's literally on his way here. And, and I said, hey, how are you feeling today? You know, good. And I said, good. You feel like really well, like strong? And yeah, you're really good. How'd you like to teach tonight? Um, you know, and not even just open. I said, can you talk in the image of God? Something in there, something on that. And, um, oh, like only Matt Hickey can do, um, he did it. So I know a lot of you guys um, know him. In fact, if, if you want to get more Matt Hickey, because uh, he's such a great communicator and, and teacher, um, he's doing one of our equip classes. So you might even want to jump in this Sunday morning to his class that he's teaching on embracing the Christian life. It's just a great opportunity for transformation. And that... Um, we're in a series looking at this idea of what does it mean to be human? Like, what's involved in that? And we have this thesis, we're kind of going off this thesis that the very uh, best way to describe what it means to be human is, is to think about the image of God as, as a masterpiece, as art, something beautiful, something gorgeous, something of enormous value, but also that this art has been defaced. It's been vandalized in some significant way. And uh, my friend Dave Clack, who, who I talked about this a couple weeks ago, he, uh, he, he donated this beautiful, this is a Z-clay print on canvas um, of the San Juan Mountains in southwestern Colorado. And it's this gorgeous, gorgeous picture. He has an illustrated light gallery in Old Town. You've probably been by there before, these gorgeous pieces. And this is like, a, this is a $2,900 piece. $2,900 piece that, that, that he donated to us. 
And, uh, you know, when I told him kind of what I wanted to do, he shrieked. Like, he was like, what? You want to what? And um, he said, I don't know if he was joking or serious, but he said, I don't know if I can be there, with, like, when you do that to my art, you know, because I might scream. And I go, well, that's, that's what I'm going for. I want people to scream. And he goes, no, I'm serious. I don't, I don't know if I can come because I might just shriek. Um, but this idea, if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 1. We started there a couple weeks ago. And again, let me just encourage you guys, bring, bring your Bibles with you. Um, become familiar with the primary tool that God uses to communicate to us. Um, Genesis chapter 1 is this account where we, where we first see and hear of this idea of humanity as being image bearers of this God. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we read, So God created man in his own image. And man is the general term for humanity here. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then as you just scan down throughout the chapter, look at all the pieces that come into play. And this is what we're talking about in this series as it relates to what does it mean to be human given this fact that we're made in the image of God. Um, Let's see, verse 28, uh, he says, be fruitful. He's talking about relationship. He's talking about sexuality. He says, subdue the earth, rule over it. He's talking about authority. He's talking about ownership, uh, about, about creating culture. Uh, down in verse 30, he says, you know, I give you food, the idea of, of pleasure, eating. Um, verse 31, he, he calls everything very good. And as you scan through this, he talks about creativity, about vocation, about all these different areas are, are pre-rebellion, pre-fall, pre-sin. All these ideas have to do with what does it mean to be human? And this is, and this is just their daily lives. These are all the categories of life that we interact with. And w- what we also see is Genesis 2.17. If you jump over to chapter 2, Verse 17, all this stuff, it's this and that, and it's good and enjoy and, and, and flourish, embrace life. In verse 17, there's the word, it starts with, but, but you must not, and he says, there's one thing that I ask, and that's that you obey me in this. You must not eat of this tree. Every, everything's for you to enjoy, but there's one thing that I've asked you to understand that it's, it's mine alone. And that's this position of who determines right and wrong, who's the king, who sits on the throne, who's the top. That's the one area that I say, that's my position, that's me. Understand your position in the rightly ordered structure of the universe and of life, and you will completely flourish. But you must not, he says, or you will die. Hebrew scholars tell us that the actual language for this, you know, for in the day you eat of this, you will surely die, that it actually says, for if you eat of it in dying, you will die. It's this idea that the corrosiveness of what's going to happen will spread everywhere. Nothing will be left untouched. All these good things I talked about, sexuality and work and, and food and beauty and relationship and, and self-expression, every, it's all going to be corroded. It's all going to break. It will all experience this death of death in some significant way. So there is an orderliness in which God says you will flourish in this setting, it's going to be awesome, he says, you guys. You will absolutely love it. So one thing we discover from this passage is that we are, and here's, here's kind of the word for tonight, we're moral creatures. Okay, what do we mean? But Like, we use that word, right? We, we hear that word a lot. What do we mean? 
This means that our existence in this world involves categories like right and wrong. Our experience in the world involves categories like true and false. It involves categories of all these different sorts which refer to our moral nature, good and bad. And we express our interaction with these categories in two words, obedience and disobedience. Orderliness, falling into this right order of how I pursue things, love things, do things, and all that, or not. And we find out later, it's not just doing them, it's actually loving them, because he says, I want you to love the right things. It's not just doing the right things. Your, your loves need to be ordered. Don't, don't love this thing above that thing, because they're not. You know, love this first and that second. Remember how many times in Scripture we have this idea of love the Lord your God with all, meaning top priority, right? Do this first, the very first commandment, have no other gods before me, priority language, orderliness language. He's speaking in these categories of you are moral creatures. And so we discover in, in Genesis chapter 3, sorry Dave if you're here, We discover that this facet of us, that says morality, this facet of our being, this component, this category of human existence is also touched by sin, by the deep brokenness. And so what I want to do tonight is look at this question, um, how do we go wrong morally? Like, what, it, what does that look like? For this category of our life to be broken, shattered, touched, defaced by sin. Um, and so let me give you kind of just uh, three categories that I think are really, really helpful here. Um, C.S. Lewis, who, who's like my favorite author because he makes really abstract ideas very concrete. And he says, okay, we all talk about morality, right? And he says, well, morality... Think of, think of it like this. Think of morality like, like a fleet of ships, boats, a fleet of ships, and, and they're all sailing in formation. Said, and that's kind of like humanity. That's the world, okay? Now, for, for, for this fleet of ships to, to be successful, what does it have to do? He says, okay, well, first thing, the ships themselves, they can't, like, go apart from each other too much and be isolated, but they also can't collide, right? They can't get in each other's way. So, so sort of ship-to-ship -ship relationship has to be in order. Okay, that's, that's, that's one piece of it, right? But he says, secondly, like, what kind of condition is the ship in? Are your, are your steering gears in order? Like, is it all, is it broken? Are things messed up? Is the rudder wrong? Is, however you, you know, what kind of, uh, how seaworthy is the vessel itself? What kind of condition is it in? Now, of course, you can't have either of these two without the other, Right? You collide, and things are going to break inside, right? Your, your steering gears aren't in order. You're going to collide and crash with others. So these two things have this kind of relationship like that. Lewis also gives another example. He says, okay, maybe you're not like a sea, uh, you know, nautical kind of guy. How about music? Are you a music guy? Think of it like a band playing a tune, okay? What's it going to take for a band to do well, to be successful? He says, well... 
first of all, the individual instruments have to be in tune, right? I mean, you can't have a bad, a bad instrument that's out of tune in any way. Well, secondly, each of the instruments has to, has to come in at just the right time, right, to make music. There has to be harmony working together in this way. And we go, yeah, okay, that makes sense, I get it. And he goes, here's the problem in our culture. There's one significant thing that is missing when we think of what does it mean to live in this category of being moral creatures. Listen to Lewis's words. He says it so well. He says, we have not asked where the fleet is trying to go, right? Where, where the ship's trying to get to. Or what piece of music the band is trying to play. The, in, the instruments might be all in good tune and might come in at just the right moment, but even so, their performance would not be a success if they had been charged to provide dance music and actually played nothing but dead marches. And however well the fleet sailed, its voyage would be a failure if it were meant to reach New York and it actually arrived in Calcutta. <laughs> okay? So when we think of morality, being moral creatures, I want to suggest... I'm not sure what color is going to show up best here. Let me, let me try this one. There, there are kind of three areas. Can you see that at all or no? Yes, no? Okay, I'll try. Okay, so morality involves person to person. Um, relations between people, fair, fair play. Harmony between individuals, or we could even say, you know, between nations, fair trade, you know, fair play between individuals or nations, whatever it might be. The second thing, though, that, that we see from his examples is there's, there's just sort of this category of my internal world, my own person, um, the orderliness, the wholeness of myself, things inside each person. Lewis says, um, tidying up or harmonizing things inside each individual. The ancients, the ancients, when they would greet each other, one thing they used to say is, just like, how you doing? We have kind of like a dumbed-down version of it. They would say, how is it with your soul? I like that. How is it with your soul? What they're asking is, what's your heart like? How are things in your imagination? What's going on with you? How, how is it with your soul? But the third thing that Lewis points out that he says, you guys, here's, here's, the, here's the key, the skeleton key that we often miss is this third relationship of morality that means a person's relationship to God. This is um, relations between a person and what, what made you? that power that, that made you. Lewis writes, this is the general purpose of human life as a whole. Like, what was man made for? Do we have an intended end, a purpose? What course is the whole fleet of ships going on? Where are, they, are they trying to get to New York or Calcutta? Where are they going? What kind of, what tune does the conductor want the band to play? Now, let me ask you a question. Think about this, okay? Think about our own culture, your experience in it. Um, which of these three do you think people have in mind most in our culture when they use the word morality? What do you think? Probably one and two, right? Sometimes just one. 
probably, sometimes one, sometimes number two is kind of falling off, right? Um, but see, one is just about kindness, fair play between people. And that's a good one because, you know, we agree. Most cultures, most worldviews, most uh, varying different religions don't have a whole lot of disagreement on number one, right? There's not a whole lot of disagreement. We should be honest. We should be fair. We, yeah, most, we agree there. Number two, you start having a little bit more disagreement. What does it mean to be a good person in, inwardly? And then we come into sharper disagreement with sharpest disagreement with number three. What should our relationship be with what is ultimate, our end in life? What's the purpose, the point of human life? Well, see, here's the problem. Have you ever heard someone say, and you might have thought this yourself. Um, I, think, I think I've thought this at times. But heard someone say, well, it can't be wrong because it's not hurting anyone else, right? Which one are they thinking of? Which one are we thinking of when we say that? It can't be wrong because I'm not hurting anybody else. I'm saying, oh, morality is just, as long as I'm not ramming my boat into anyone else, right? Um, it doesn't matter what, what I do with my boat itself. It doesn't matter what kind of condition it's in. See, this person is thinking that it doesn't matter what his ship is like so long as he doesn't run into the next ship. This is social morality. And we get that. That's important. He thinks that whatever he does to his own ship is basically his own business, right? Listen to Lewis's words. I love this. Lewis says, but does it not make a great difference whether his ship is his own property or not? Ah, does it not make a great difference whether I am, so to speak, the landlord of my own mind and soul or only a tenant responsible to the real landlord? If somebody else made me for his own purposes, then I shall have a lot of duties which I should not have if I simply belonged to myself. Ever read that passage in Matthew chapter 22? Jesus is interacting with the people around him in crowds and, and, and one person asks him about taxation. And remember he says, he goes, well, render to, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar is the question. And he says, well, render to Caesar what Caesar's, but then he's got this other phrase that he kind of inserts that he, he, he turns the question to a different point. What does he say? And render to God what is God's. So the immediate question is, remember, you know, a coin has whose image on it? Caesar's. He says, well, whose image? Whose ever image is on it, you got to give it to them. They own it. It's their stuff. You're just using it. Well, see, he uses that to say, give to God's what's God's. Well, let's see, what has God's image? Oh, that's me. That's my sexuality. That's my vocation. That's, those are my hobbies. Those are my relationships. What's got his image? So you got to give it. He owns it. You're just using it. You're borrowing it, right? You're a steward. You're not the owner. And he drives that point home again and again in these areas. Well, further danger of neglecting two and three, uh, kind of this fuller biblical understanding of what do we mean when we use these, you know, this category of morality. Um, Lewis says this, it's kind of a really interesting point. He says, um, Christianity claims, Christianity asserts that um, every human being is going to live forever, okay? Now think about this as it relates to this one right here, Okay? Every single human being, image of God, is going to live forever. Not 70 years, not 80 years, 90 years. That's a transition into a different experience. But every single human being is going to live forever. And he says, now, 
if I were just going to live, you know, I'm, if I were going to live, say, for another, uh, you know, 30, 40 years, there's a lot of things I really wouldn't have to worry about, right? I mean, if that was just kind of the end, I really wouldn't need to worry about it. Um, my, my bad temper, okay, that, that, that goes off sometimes. Um, my, my jealousy that I have. Um, my, just my general self-centeredness. Um, they, all of those things might be gradually getting worse in me, okay, like real slowly, so gradually that in 30 years when I'm 78, you might not even notice it, right? You might not notice all those things that bad because they're not that bad. What would those things be like in a million years? Can you imagine? Lewis writes, but it might be absolute hell. It might be absolute hell in a million years. And he says, in fact, if Christianity is true, hell is precisely the correct terminology for what you would be if your jealousy and your anger and your self-centeredness is unchecked. Are you your own? Not according to God. If I'm my own, I can do whatever I want. What if I did whatever I want for as long as I want and it went on forever and the ship was just wrecked? You guys, that sounds really close to some of Jesus' language in Scripture about what it means to live eternity separated from God. He says it's like darkness. It's like destruction. It's like fire. It's like a garbage heap. It's like all these different pictures of just destruction, outer dark. He says that's hell, you guys. That's you turned in upon yourself. That's hell. See, this is why Matthew 22, Jesus' statement, render unto Caesar, render, you know, render to God what is God's. This is why it is like the, the, the paramount question. Whose are you? Whose am I? Who do I belong to? Am I really the, I was, I was with my kids. We, we walked, um, this is, gosh, I don't know when it was, maybe two months ago or so in the summer. Uh, we've tried to do this pretty often where Kristen will like take one of the kids out and I watch the other kids and they kind of have a special night. They'll see a movie or go eat ice cream and then another night I'll, I'll take one of the kids out. And so I took, um, I, think it was, I think it was Brielle who I took out this time and she wanted to walk around um, Lake Loveland and stuff. So we're slapping mosquitoes and, you know, um, I'm not that happy after about 20 minutes and she's just elated and loving it. But we're walking around and there, there's that statue, the, that, that really cool statue you've seen. It's this like log and there's these four little kids on it. And, and right next to that, there's this other statue. And I, I'm not, I can't even remember right now what it was, but at the bottom, there, there's this, this quote by uh, uh, Invictus. You might've seen that movie, this, you know, this phrase that, I am the captain of my own destiny. And as I read that, you know, there's something at first like, oh yeah, that's, oh wait, no. You know, that sounds cool at first, and wait a minute. What does that lead to? I'm in charge. I'm the chief. No one owns me. I own myself. The self turned in upon oneself. See, if the image of God is true, that's an absolute lie from the pit because it's, it destroys human flourishing. That's why. Um, serve 6.8. We've been talking a lot about that this week. We talked about it earlier tonight. Um, I, I had someone this week say, what, what's serve, like, where do we get serve 6.8 from? You ever, who's ever wondered, what, why, where, where do we get the name serve 6.8 from? You might have asked that tonight. Where, where do we get serve 6.8 from? Um, serve 6.8 comes from, from two Old Testament passages. Isaiah 6.8 is that passage, you know, where God says, who's going who's gonna to go? Who's going to go for me? And, and Isaiah says, I'll go. I'll do it. And then, and then um, Micah 6, 8 is this passage where Jesus says, 
<clears throat> I'm sorry, where uh, Micah is speaking and asking God's questions, interacting with him, and uh, he's representing Israel, and, and, and God's actually judging him at one point for, for failure to do many things. And Micah 6, 8, where we get this passage from, reads, he has shown you, O mortal, or man, what is good. He says, and what does the Lord require of you? Now think about this in relation to what we're talking about tonight. To act justly. That's the boats colliding with other boats or deviating away so far that it's complete isolation. To act justly. He says to love mercy. That's number two. To love mercy. To one whose loves are formed internally, your loves are right. And you act out of a heart that loves mercy. He says, and to walk humbly with your God. That's number three. What's the course of my life? To walk humbly in my re correct relationship with the one who made me and designed me. Where's the whole fleet of ships going? And he says, this is life, you guys. God has shown us to love mercy, to act justly, to walk humbly with our God. See, there's a cool biblical word for this that kind of sums it all. Ever heard the word Shalom. That's it. There's this cool Old Testament Hebrew word, and oftentimes, you know, we translate it peace, you know, just like, hey, peace to you, you know, let's pray for the peace, or, 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 or not fighting, we have shalom. No, 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 it's this really robust, huge concept. That's a, that's a very flat idea of it. Shalom is this idea that everything is in harmony. All the ships are sailing the right way. Internally, everything is functioning and working perfectly, and they're all headed to that right destination. It's like a band. Every instrument is perfectly in tune, and they all come in at just the right moment, and they sound fantastic together. And they're all playing the exact piece at watching full eye on the conductor. That's shalom. We're going to talk more about this idea of shalom in, in a few weeks as we talk about what does it mean to have the image of God realized, like to be seen? What's, what do we have hope for in the future? One, um, one theologian uses this description. I like it for shalom. He says, it is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation, and justice, fulfillment, delight. Everything's ordered right. Everything's working. And I want to I come back to this, but first, I want to look at another way we can, we can kind of go wrong um, to all of us who kind of go, oh, this is, I'm so glad you're talking about this, Brent, because I, I know somebody who, man, they screw up on these. You know, they're, you know they get this one wrong. They're, they're kind of just mean-spirited, and man, they're really kind of selfish people. They're really self-focused, and they don't even have that one down. And I would say this is the most dangerous way we can go wrong morally, especially for, for those of us who, who, who have a religious background in any way. This is the, it's the trap because it's the one you don't see. Um, Jesus told this parable. Remember the parable of the two sons? We call the parable the prodigal son. It's really a story of two sons. He tells, just real, real quick, Mary tells a story. He says, there's a guy, a father, he's got two sons. The youngest one, he kind of goes the route of self-discovery, Right? I don't want to be under your supervision. I just, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. So give it to me. He demands it. He goes off to a far land and he just wastes it all. And then there's a famine in the land and he loses everything and, and, and he's like homeless. And he goes, man, if I could just go back even just to be a servant. And so he kind of changes his mind. He walks back. And see, th that's, 
that's one way we can go wrong morally, and that's where we go right away in our mind. Oh, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's not obeying God. It's not praying. It's not going to church. It's not, doing, it's not being kind, the, the ship to ship, the how many, it's all this stuff. That's what it means to break down morally in a big way. And see, this is the way of self-discovery. Um, do whatever you want with your boat. Play whatever piece of music you want. Um, happiness is you deciding. You figure out what's right for you and the right way of life, and that's how you're going to find happiness in your life. Now, there's another option, another way to try to find happiness, and that's the second half of the story. The younger son comes home, and then we see the other way that we can go wrong morally because it arises out of the elder brother. Remember how he responds? The younger brother is given all the rights of it. He's, he's given a, a sandal. He's given a ring. He's, he's given all these full sonship again, which means he gets another third of the dad's property even though he's wasted it all. So it's probably going to be taken from the older son. <laughs> and the older son's kind of indignant. And he goes, this, this stinks. And he has a big party for him. And so he sits outside and the father goes outside and he goes, come on in, your son's back. And he goes, you've got to be kidding me. Do you know what I've been doing? I have been obeying you this whole time. And wh what have you ever done for me? You're not running things the way I think. You've never given me a fat cap. You've never done this. And now this son of yours comes back. Forget it. And he's sitting outside, and it's this juxtaposition, because at the beginning, the younger son's outside. At the end of the story, the older son's outside. And the father is going, I want you both in. I want both of you in this way. And see, the second way we can get wrong morally, that we can miss it, is by moral conformity. This is, I'm not, uh, not going to do what I want. I'm going to put off my own desires. I'll, I'll do what tradition tells me. I'll do what my community tells me. I'll do what scripture, you know, whatever. I'll not do what I want. And because of that, uh, God will owe me. He will be indebted to me. See, the younger son, he chafed at the idea that I, I can't, you know, I have to be under your supervision to have your stuff. He didn't like that. What did the younger son want most? He wanted the father's stuff, right? He wanted the blessing. He wanted a certain way of life. He wanted to make his own calls, but he didn't want the father. Um, what did the older brother want? Exact same thing. He wanted the father's stuff too. Both hearts were exactly the same. He resented the father just as much as the younger son who went away. Um, he just stayed close and never disobeyed. But see, in never disobeying, he thought God owed him. He thought the father, rather, owed him. See, that was his way to get control. Here was, here was his unspoken demand. I've never disobeyed you. Now you have to make things in my life go the way I want them. That sounds a lot like the younger brother, doesn't it? But this is the way moral conformity is this idea that God, God owes me answered prayers. God owes me a good life. Um, God owes me a ticket to heaven when I die, and so I'm my own savior. Listen to how Tim Keller, who wrote a fantastic book on this parable, how he puts it. He says, if like the older brother, you believe God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, this is this moral conformity thing, then Jesus may be your helper, he may be your example, even your inspiration, but he is not your savior, you are your own Savior. See, this means you can get it wrong morally two different ways, meaning you can rebel against God. I can get it wrong morally two different ways, either by rebelling against God, 
breaking all the rules or by keeping all the rules, doing what's right and then thinking that God owes me something about how my life goes. Remember the uh, Micah 6-8 passage, you know, where we could do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God? Do you know the very first the verse right before that? You know what happens? God, God tells him, the context is God's like, he's talking to him like it's a courtroom. And he goes, okay, guys, I'm the, I'm, the, uh, I'm the plaintiff and I'm the judge, and here's my case against you. Do you know how, how Israel responds? Listen to their defense. This is the verse right before that. They defend, um, uh, what shall I come before the Lord? Uh, sorry, with what shall I come before the Lord? Shall I, shall I bow down? That's religious worship and prostration. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves? Uh, will, the, will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil, all these things I can do? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? See, it's religious activity. It's this thought of, oh, I'll just do it. I'll, I'll be older brother. I'll conform. I'll do all these things. I'll, I'll make sure this is working right. And I'm not offending when I'm, you know, I'm doing justice. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll look like I'm the good person. And I'll do all these things. And, and I'll worship God. I'll go through all the motions. And he says, that's self-salvation. If you think that gets it for you. See, this model says, if I obey, I'll be accepted. See, the gospel, Jesus says, because I'm accepted through Jesus Christ, his death for me, I will obey. Totally antithetical models to each other. See, if I'm saved by my good works, you ever thought about this? If I'm saved by my good works, um, there's a limit to which God can ask me to go through something or put up with something or handle some difficulty, right? It's like a taxpayer. I pay my taxes, you know, I have rights, <laughs> Right? If, if I've done something to deserve it, there's a limit to which God can ask me. However, if I am a sinner saved by grace, is there, meaning God, Jesus gave his life for me, is there any, any limit to which God can ask me? Is there anything that he cannot ask me to go through or, or, or deal with? And I can't sing that last song we sang, It is well with my soul. See, if I'm a sinner saved by grace, I can't demand anything. I can't say even the way I say it. <laughs> Why do the wicked prosper? How come that guy's getting this? I don't get because I, that, that's rooted from this idea of, well, I should have better. I should have more. After all, I pray, I go to church, crying out loud, I do this, I blah, blah, blah. It's this self-salvation model. And we all go there. And see, God asks everything of us. That's the craziness of this gospel, you guys. He says, I want all of you because whose image is on the coin? If you're the coin, my, I want all of you and I get all of you and I want everything. But here's the really cool part. <laughs> he doesn't just ask everything. He gives us the one thing we can't have. He gives us our true selves back. He gives us the thing that is so beautiful through all the brokenness, but we can't seem to fix it. I scrub it, and I clean it, and I try to, and I can't do it. And he says, I'll give you your, the thing you've longed for your whole life, your true self. I'll give that to you. Let me end with this story, and then we'll pray, and we'll just kind of spend some 
time together. Um, in the former Soviet Union, uh, back in the year 2000, they, they were releasing a lot of the political prisoners that, that had been locked up for a long time. And there was one, uh, one prisoner in particular named Andrei Stamis. He was a Hungarian uh, prisoner. He was put in solitary confinement uh, for so long that, that, that he was in a psychiatric room, uh, treated just occasionally. Um, and they believed that, that he was just speaking gibberish, that, that he had lost his mind. Um, and he was in prison for 55 years. A Hungarian psychiatrist um, went in and spent several hours with him. And when he came out, he told him, he says, this, this guy hasn't lost his mind. He's actually speaking an old uh, Hungarian dialect. And, I, and I'm picking up on pieces of it. Most people don't know it. So it just sounded like absolute gibberish to him. And he says, release him to me and I will, I will make him well. So finally, they signed the papers and the psychiatrist put this Hungarian man in a wheelchair and he moved him out of the place. And do you know what the very first thing that Andrei Stamis asked for? when he was on his way out. He turned to the psychiatrist, saying that the first object he wanted to hold in his hands was a mirror. He had not seen himself in 55 years. And when they held the mirror up to his face, he put his face in his hands and he just sobbed uncontrollably. See, when you've seen your face at age 20, and then the next time you see it is age 75, after being bullied and, and, and pummeled, humiliated, dehumanized, uh, you and I would break into sobs as well, too. What, think about this. What would it be like after five decades to not know what you look like or what you were intended to look like? See, that's kind of this right here. We walk throughout our life and our days not knowing. We get glimpses. We get, we get spots. Scripture uses this idea that we, we see us through a, a glass dimly. And the thing we, we desire to want to know is the self. But like we said the other week, we're like an eyeball out in space that can see everything except itself. The only way we can see ourselves is to look at God. And see, when we give ourselves to Christ, he says, those who want to find themselves must lose themselves for the gospel. There's, there's this weird thing of giving myself fully to God, and all of a sudden, he restores, he restores this, and, he, and I have a relationship with him, and I'm in harmony with others. That's the picture of the Christian life. That's a picture of being human according to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, Lord, I pray, for, I pray for those of us who would be in the place of, of saying, uh, you know, I, I kind of think that I've gone down that road of um, self-justification, moral conformity. God, would you show us, show us that we're there? Because that's sometimes the... The hardest thing is just realizing it. Help us to, to see signs, God. Maybe things like, if I haven't forgiven someone in my life, it's probably because I have this idea that, well, I would never do that. I'm, I would never stoop that low. 
That's moral conformity. That's superiority. That's pride. And if, if, if we're there, God, show us that. And Father, I pray for, likewise, those people who, who might say they, they've been trying to find themselves independently through self-discovery, saying, you know what? I'm living my life like I'm the captain of my own destiny. I'm in charge. Lord, for, for both of these people, would you break that? And Father, show us that as we break that, that it's neither self-discovery independently or moral conformity, because both those are options to be alienated from you. But show us that there was a true elder brother named Jesus who came, who gave all, who sacrificed everything so that we might have everything so that we might find our true selves. He submitted himself to you, Father, in order that we might walk in flourishing freedom. And that's our desire, God. Thank you that we are a community who can be transparent with brokenness. We can confess that brokenness to each other and the recognition that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There's no superiority. Help us to be that kind of a people, God. Help us to walk in your ways. Help us to do what is just, God, to love others, to care about those boats around us. Lord, show us how to love mercy, that inwardly our hearts would be seaworthy for, for the life that you've called us to, that our loves would be appropriate and accurate and in order and love you first more than anything in our neighbors or self. And Father, would you remind us if we've stepped into a relationship with Christ that we are fully accepted by the one who knows our deep brokenness and yet loves us more than anyone we've ever met in our lives and fully accepts us through Christ. Remind us of this life. Call us to this higher life, God, we pray in the powerful name of our elder brother, Jesus, our King. We all said together, amen, amen. You guys, thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, one of our values as a community is to be together. And so um, go get your kids, come back. If you don't have kids, you can just rush right to the table. We've got like cinnamon rolls, I don't know, cookies and something else that was really good I heard earlier. So um, I want one of the cinnamon rolls. Don't eat. If you eat that last cinnamon roll, I will, you, it'll, this week will be bad for you because I want a cinnamon roll. Don't eat one before I get back there. Um, hey, love you guys. We'll see you this weekend.